Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to Kentucky World Language Association members seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we will be talking with people in the know about world languages from across the state. Topics range from collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and today's topic is admissions policies and curricular innovations at Kentucky universities. Co-hosting with me today is the producer of Language Talk KWLA, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby. Hello, Jean-Marie. Hi, Laura. How is Siberia? It was cold. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back with you. <laughs> you are welcome. I took it there and I brought it back. All right. So to get us into our topic, in 2004, Kentucky legislation elevated world languages as part of the required pre-college curriculum component. It stated, first-time freshmen under age 21 who enroll in a four-year degree program at a Kentucky public university must attain two credits in the same world language or demonstrate competency in that language. It's now 12 years later and meeting the expectations set forth in that legislation has resulted in specific policies and admissions requirements for two of Kentucky's universities, Western Kentucky University and the University of Kentucky. In addition, changes in instructional practices are supporting a proficiency-based approach to learning. So today we have two guests, that'll be uh, three guests, that'll be talking to us about these. By phone today, our first guest is a German professor at Western Kentucky University, Laura McGee. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. So, Laura, we're going to ask you some questions. You ready? I am. Go ahead. Laura, within the last two years, WKU adopted a new policy regarding language proficiency. Could you outline what the WKU um, policy is now and how it changed from the previous one? Sure. I'll be glad to do that. Um, so in 2014, WKU changed its um, language requirement for all students who are earning a bachelor's degree at Western Kentucky University. And for the entering class in 2014 and going forward, so currently, students are to demonstrate novice high proficiency in a world language, and they should do that any time before they have completed 60 hours towards their bachelor's degree. So that means that they can do that before they even start their studies at WKU, um, or they can do that after they arrive. But it should happen in the first 60 hours. Laura, when you say before coming in, could they be a freshman or sophomore in high school? Yes, yes. Because the the requirement is novice high proficiency, um, we have identified some tests uh, that students could take, and then they can, they, if those tests are taken in their school, they can have their teacher or their guidance counselor or an administrator generate the official test report and submit that. And yes, that is fine if uh, it is taken even a few years before the student comes to college. So you mentioned that you have several tests or some tests you've identified. So what are the options that a student could use to satisfy the requirement or that you use to place students at the appropriate level of world language? 
Mm-hmm. The, the options, there are a lot, a lot of options available to students. Um, there are quite a few choices that they have. Um, almost all of the same choices that they had before this language requirement, such as they can take a CLEP test, um, they could have been in an AP course and brought in an AP score, and we have a pretty generous uh, AP credit award policy. Um, almost all the students who come to WKU have completed um, what we call the pre-college curriculum in world languages, which means that they've taken two years of a world language before coming to college, typically in high school. And um, we wanted to find a, a test that they could take to show novice high proficiency. And so we looked around at what's available, and we considered the Avant assessment stamp test. We also looked at the uh, Apple test, that's A-A-P-P-L, that was developed uh, in conjunction with the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. We ultimately chose to offer here at WKU the stamp test. So that's one that students can take um, to demonstrate novice high proficiency. They can also, if they've taken the, if they've taken the Apple test in their schools, they can submit those scores. We will accept those as well. So uh, those would fulfill uh, the requirement. Um, if a student has taken the stamp test or the Apple test or any the CLEP or the AP, that the result will help us place them if they want to continue in a language course. And then for students who know that they want to take a language course uh, and they're continuing in a language they started previously, we are adopting the Avant Place. It's the, the placement test from Avant for French, German, and Spanish. And then for the other languages we teach, um, the student should consult with a faculty member about their placement. And those languages are Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Russian. A lot of language choices. Um, you mentioned the AP scores. So what is the AP score that gets a student the, the needed proficiency level? The, um, the lowest AP score for which AP recommends giving any credit at all is a three. Okay. And a three is well above the novice high level, but again, it's really the lowest score that we can accept for any meaningful purpose. So, um, yeah, and then that would give a student nine hours of credit. Wow, that's very generous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we, we can see that the students who score a three or a four or a five can perform at a really high level, and, and we feel like they deserve credit for that. Right. So when you instituted this policy, what goals did you have, um, and why did you decide not to just keep the old uh, system that you had in place before? Right. Um, the old system, so from 2004 to 2014, our, the university's language requirement was that all students must complete at least a 102 course. And um, so, you know, many students were taking one, two, three years in high school and then coming in and maybe starting at a very low level just to get that course. And we really wanted to... We, we believe that the teachers in the K-12 system are doing a good job teaching world languages, and we want to make sure that um, students can, can choose to start early in developing proficiency if they want, and then they can come to college and show what they know, and that can fulfill a requirement. 
so that means that what students learn in the K-12 system really matters. It's very important. And the more students can be college ready, they can fulfill that requirement based on what they've learned in high school. On top of that, we want to try to give credit wherever credit is due. And so if a student comes in and, let's say, takes a placement test or a stamp test and then decides to take a class with us, let's say they place in at the, at the third semester level, that would be a 201 course here, then they, and they take that class and they get a C or better, they can pay a small fee for what we call verified credit and get the credit for the previous two courses. So in taking... So in placing at the correct, slightly higher level and taking a class and being successful, they can get as many as nine credits. Yeah, that's a great system. Yeah, we, a lot of students are enjoying that. They're taking advantage of that. And it's really, it's a, it's a good motivation to, you know, not, not to take a course lower than you really need to be mm-hmm. taking, but rather to, to place at the appropriate level and then help. You know, those credits can help a student accumulate the, the credit hours they need to, to go ahead and get their bachelor's degree in a timely way. So now that this has been um, in effect for over a year, what have you learned that uh, world language teachers should know about preparing or advising students who plan to enroll at WKU about the requirements, the testing procedures, or about language study? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because we really need help. Um, we need help from t- the world languages teachers in the K-12 system to, to talk with their students about proficiency to really, I'm, I'm serious about having teachers, and we do this too here at WKU in our courses, we have a conversation with our students about proficiency, and we help them understand what it is in the different proficiency levels and in the different uh, communicative modes. And, and one great website that I love to go to, uh, to to really define that for my students in a simple, straightforward way and really make it accessible to students um, is you can just Google um, ACTFL Global Statements. So it's ACTFL, A-C-T-F-L, Global Statements. And when you Google that, you will get to a website that has a table on it with the modes across the top, the proficiency levels down the left-hand side, and you can click on the little buttons and get a short definition. Um, So it might be interpersonal at the novice high level. What can that speaker do? And and a novice high speaker at the inner, at the, in interpersonal communication, so, so speaking with someone, that definition is I can communicate and exchange information about familiar topics using phrases and simple sentences, sometimes supported by memorized language. I can usually handle short social interactions in everyday situations by asking and answering simple questions. And when teachers talk with their students about what proficiency is, students, something really clicks for students. They really understand why we're doing what we're doing in class. Students can understand, you know, the learners can understand what proficiency level they are performing at in the classroom. And what I do in my courses is I, at the beginning of the semester or the beginning of the year, I ask students to self-assess their proficiency level using those actual global statements and to tell me what level they think they're at and then also to set goals. And when the students set goals, 
um, they're getting more specific. So on that same web page, you can click on the buttons, and then right below the short description that I just read you, it has a little link that says go to the PDF, and then there are more specific tasks. And so the students can really see what is it that I can do when I perform at that level. And I find that students say, I want to be able to narrate in the past tense. You know, or I want to be able to give, you know, a report in detail. And so they begin to choose. They are more motivated. And this is really powerful for their learning because I believe we will we will not get students to a high level of proficiency if we just, you know, we're telling them what to do. Grades are about, uh, you know, doing what we tell you. They really have to see why it all makes sense and, and what level they can aspire to. So um, we need teachers to start talking with students about what proficiency is. I am finding that many students who come to WKU are hesitant to take the stamp test. In fact, um, the, the very good news is the students who have chosen to take the stamp test and who had two years of language in high school are passing. I say passing. They are able to demonstrate novice high. More than 90% of test takers who had two, at least two, I'll say two years of language in high school are able to demonstrate novice high. That's the good news. That means teachers are doing the right thing for their students, and students really are learning. The bad news for us here at WKU is not enough students know or believe that they can demonstrate novice high. So if teachers in K-12 through have that conversation with students, students will know and understand what choices they have when they come to WKU. I, um, <laughs> the second thing I would say is to teachers, um, and, and we work hard at this here at WKU as well, is use authentic materials in the classroom to foster language use in all the modes. And, and the reason I say that is because a proficiency-oriented assessment is going to show students authentic type tasks. So you want to be doing that in the classroom anyway. Laura, I was going to ask, um, if a student is interested in going to Western, uh, where do they take the test? Do they take it before they enter? Do they take it in the summer? When do you recommend and where do they go? Um, I, I, I recommend the students give some thought to you know, their options. Do they want to start a new language that they've never studied? If so, then they, they just take a 101 course. If they want to continue in a language, they should take the placement test. They will be able to take that online, at home, go ahead and get oh. results before they come to ATP. That's the way the Avant Place is designed to work, and we are right now in the process of setting it up so that it's ready for students who are going to be registering and coming in fall. Okay. If students want to simply demonstrate their novice high proficiency, they have a few choices. One is their school gives the stamp test. They take it there. They use the form on our website and submit the scores. Or they can, if they're a future WKU student, they can come and take the test at our testing center. Okay. Um, the other choice is they just wait till they get here and they take it soon after they arrive. Okay. So, um, is there anything else that we should know or that listeners should know about the policy or about language study at WKU that you would like to add? Um, I, 
I guess, um, well, I will share that I recently gave a workshop here in our department for our own faculty and for the dual credit teachers uh, who teach uh, for us and um, talked about some of these same things, about Avant Place and about the stamp test and about proficiency and, and really talking with students about their proficiency level. And I have to say the feedback from that workshop was really, really positive. The participants came away wanting to know what their students can do and planning, you know, having ideas to assess proficiency in their courses, but also to look for look at some of these outside assessments to give feedback for their own teaching, but also to give their students feedback about um, what they can do. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is that we have worked really hard here at WKU to push in the direction of proficiency-oriented language programs and really knowing what proficiency level our students reach when they graduate from our programs. and. I have to say our programs that have embraced that most enthusiastically are having tremendous growth. And so really good things are, are happening in languages at WKU, and and that's, that's a lot of fun to watch. So I think it's an exciting place uh, to think about majoring in a language and, you know, adding that to another skill. To, to really open up doors and, and improve a student's, you know, a graduate's employability for the future. So, I, yeah. I think you also hit on the key to proficiency teaching, which is motivation. Not only getting the student to self-motivate, but using the authentic materials gets them interested in pursuing the language in a way that um, I think is very important. So. Yeah. Um, I... You know, I'm always trying to think, how do I reach this current generation that I'm teaching? And um, recently, I think it was on, you know, there's some great personal, what they call them professional learning networks out there for language teachers. And so I encourage, you know, our listeners here to, to look into um, connecting with a professional learning network. And one of those posted something, and it said something like, um, you know, what makes teachers effective is not what they know, but what they do in the classroom. And our students are so connected to the Internet. They are so connected to the world. So really the question is how can we encourage them to engage with the authentic materials, maybe that they already know about, that they're already using, engage with those in a way that helps them build their proficiency um, so that they can use it later in their lives. Well, Laura, I will say it's very exciting because the push in the state for K through 12 teachers is proficiency-based teaching, and to hear that that's the push in colleges is just phenomenal. It's, we're all on the same page, and it's just a matter of time till we're all there. So I want to thank you, and also for updating about the admissions. Uh, Western is very. Um, avant-garde with that and I think it's amazing so thank you for sharing if listeners have more questions uh, can they contact you absolutely they can uh, they can email me at laura.mcgee it's m-c-g-e-e at wku.edu they can also go on our website and look for information there or just give us a call in the department of modern languages at wku I appreciate it Laura thank you so much thank you I enjoyed it bye 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 Laura Our next guests are two professors from the University of Kentucky who are going to share admissions and graduation policies. We have Professors Julie Human and Brenna Bird. Welcome, Julie. 
Hi. Hello, and hello, Brenna. Hi. All right. So UK is in the process of considering a policy similar to the one that Laura McGee lined out for WKU. Could you give us a sense of what the policy is and discuss how it's different from the current one? Yeah. Um, so the big difference is that in the previous policy, seat time, as in the courses that you took um, at the university, was really the only criterion. Um, then with the new policy, um, there's the seat time, as in how many years you took in high school as required for an entrance into UK. And then after that, um, we do a proficiency-based requirement at the university. Um, we do a placement exams. We accept placement exams that place you about novice high for the university-wide language requirement. However, the ANS, Arts and Sciences language requirement, is a little higher. And um, we use uh, different placement exams. Previously, we'd only accepted AP exams um, <coughs> and actual coursework. Now, the language requirements can differ between major and or college. So students always need to double check with their advisors when they're registering to make sure which requirement their major requires. <laughs> okay. And we're, we're also now using um, the Apple uh, placement exam, the AAPPL uh, placement exam for our placement here in the college. So the options then for satisfying the requirement are to use the Apple test. Um, and what other venues or avenues could a student use in order to uh, establish that they have met the novice high university-wide requirement or the higher arts and sciences requirement? Well, in addition to Apple, we also accept AP testing, um, college transfer credit, of course. If you take classes at another university, we accept that. Uh, we accept the stamp test uh, and, of course, actual coursework here at UK. Which, again, the number of hours depends on the major. Right. So um, the arts and sciences requirement proficiency level um, is established at intermediate? Yes. That's what we are aiming for in our classes. Intermediate low? Intermediate low. Okay. With hope, hopes for intermediate high, but it's a hard jump. So. Okay. So what goals would this new policy achieve as compared to the one that Brenna described that was already in place? So the idea here is to emphasize the ability to use the language in meaningful contexts, uh, not just to reward students for knowing about the language uh, in terms of grammar points right. especially. Uh, we really want to reward teachers and their students who communicate in the language. Um, and we want the students to be engaged with authentic materials from the target culture. So we want to reward those those kinds of things that happen in high schools. So very much like Lauren McGee already mentioned, the issue here is real-world context, real-world materials, which not only allows you to do more things with language, but also hopefully improves your motivation mm -hmm. yes. to doing those things with language. Um, when can students take the test? They can take it during advising conferences in the summer. So when first-year students begin at UK before prior to their beginning, they come in the summer for a couple of days uh, for advising. And at that time, they have the chance to take the placement test. Uh, also, merit weekends that happen even before the summer advising. Right. But at this point, they have to take it on campus. Yes. Yeah, we, we currently don't have a, uh, anything in place to, to make sure that that person's the one taking the test, although we are working with the university to establish a testing center. And if there's anybody that falls through the, the cracks here and doesn't get it in their advising conference at the Merit Weekend, 
uh, they can always come and see the individual TA coordinators. And um, we have other tests that we can do with them that don't require the Apple. Um, we have free tests in the, the office, so we can just talk to them one-on-one -on -one to place individual people. But for larger amounts of students, we, we ask them to do the tests during their advising conferences. So what have you learned in the last year that um, world language teachers should know about preparing or advising their students who plan to enroll at UK about the requirement, the testing procedure, or language study here? Um, since last year was the first year that we really took uh, data on the Apple exam um, for incoming students and we placed them using the Apple exam, one of the things that I think we realized is that uh, students who were coming in, many, many of the students, not all of the students, but many of the students who were coming in from high school were placing in levels higher on the speaking and the, sorry, higher on the more passive skills. So their skills at listening and reading were very high, but they were a little overwhelmed um, by the speaking and writing requirements. We have a lot of speaking, all of our classes are uh, 95, if not 100% in the target language. And the students, we aim for the students speaking at least 60%, if not more, of the class period. So they're always doing partner work. They're always talking. They're always writing. Um, and it's they're always engaging with authentic materials. And that's something that uh, can intimidate students the first couple of weeks. We usually advise them to stick it out. They usually get over it mm -hmm. uh, pretty quickly. Um, but uh, it might be just to lower their um, effective filter, it might be good for them to have more practice if, if uh, uh, the high school instructors um, could make sure when a student is applying for college that they know that there's gonna be a lot of speaking involved. And, um, and also just to remind them that, that they're gonna be listening to people uh, who have different accents than their German teacher for four years. Right. So uh, just to prepare them for that, I think, is, is really the one thing um, that we, one piece of advice we could give, and the one thing that we've learned is just this, this uh, difference in the amount of speaking that goes on. So I know for me when I teach, um, it's really hard because my kids do too much interpersonal. I always have to remember we need to do reading and we need to do presentational writing. You know, I, I, So every teacher's got their... I guess, modes they prefer, and you, you need to make sure you balance those out. Let's say you do have a kid who takes a test, and they are weak in one of the modes. Do they get to go, or, or is it straight across the board? We need novice high. You, you know what I mean? Is there any oh, flexibility the, in that? In the in the test that we, the Apple test, yes. the placement test. Oh, so at this point, we've only we're only doing the listening and... Um, the listening and reading section oh, to the oh, for the okay. placement. Um, we're looking into other versions, but yeah, that's that was also our issue is because we don't have a really good idea of someone's spoken proficiency when they take the current version of the proficiency exam that we've been using. And so that was our disconnect is we were basing our our placement scores on where our students were scoring on that test on those two sections. However, since we devote a lot of time in our classrooms to speaking and producing, perhaps they were scoring at a certain stage on 
listening and their their passive skills were at the same mm-hmm. stage as their production because they were devoting time to all four skills whereas some students might come in with less speaking and yet they'll match those students with their more passive skills and so they were a little right so that's kind of that's but that's really not been a big issue okay. it's really been a handful of students it hasn't been a huge issue for well, us that's at good all to know, then. yeah it's just that's the only thing really that I can think of to say you know is that there are a couple students who get intimidated when they come in mm-hmm. um, because they haven't been speaking as much in their classroom right. and they get a little overwhelmed. And um, But it, usually we can convince them to stay. It's just that's been really the only, but like I said, it's been a handful of students. It hasn't been a lot of students. Okay. We've also adjusted the scoring slightly. Yeah, to to, to to take that into account. Okay. It was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a work in progress, but, um, but we were happy with it so far, and, and we're moving forward with the Apple test again, and so, um, yeah, it, it worked, and it definitely rewarded people for their proficiency. Wonderful. It definitely, we had a lot of students score really highly, so that was also wonderful. Okay. Is there anything else that our listeners should know about this policy or about Language Study UK? Yeah, we just want to uh, support teachers who are following ACTFL and KWLA proficiency guidelines uh, and this new policy that we're working towards is part of that approach. Um, I also wanted to mention, I think earlier I misspoke um, when I was asked about what levels of proficiency we are aiming for in our lower level classes. So in 101, we hope students reach novice mid. Uh, This is in French. In 102, novice high. 201, we're pushing towards intermediate low. And then 202, a lot of students will still be intermediate low. Uh, But there will be some who are especially motivated uh, who are pushing at that point into intermediate mid. Okay, that sounds very doable. Very doable. That's what we're aiming for. I also wanted to mention that students can change languages uh, at UK. And we have many, many who do, who take a different language than they had already taken in high school. Or who take that language and other languages on top of that. So we have a lot of pathways that you can you can do to accomplish the the requirement, the language requirement. And UK offers what ten languages? Ten in modern and classical languages, plus Spanish and Portuguese in Hispanic studies. Okay, so with all of that, um, it's quite a multi-tiered system that you all have in place, which is wonderful because you all deal with so many students, and and it's wonderful. It's not just a blanket statement for everybody. So where can somebody go to see the specifics for a specific language? Students should contact Jeff Rogers, who Jeff is Rogers. our okay. Director of Undergraduate Studies in the Department in Modern Classical Languages. Okay, so Jeff Rogers, Rogers is the man to call. So let's change gears a bit and talk about instructional changes that's going on at UK. And you'll have free online textbooks? Yep. All right. So over the last two years, then you in French and German in your beginning and intermediate sequence have redesigned the curricula um, and instituted these new online textbooks. Why did you choose to redesign the curriculum in this way and what are the advantages of these materials for you? I think the first question was cost. Uh, So we have students who work extra jobs who are paying high tuition uh, and we wanted as much as we could to help them uh, with, with textbook, textbooks that weren't hugely expensive. So these textbooks that we have chosen uh, are free entirely. There, there's no cost at all to students. Uh, and they are comparable. They're at least as good as uh, and sometimes better than the $300 textbooks that, we have, that, we've, that we've looked at. Uh, so that is why we chose them primarily. Uh, but at the same time, they're also good. Uh, so both the French and German books that we use are developed around interviews with native speakers. 
So students learn vocabulary that's useful and not forced, as you see in some elementary textbooks. Students love the prize, right? They certainly always on our evaluations at the end of the semester, thank you for this free textbook. Uh, but they also frequently comment that the topics are relevant, um, that the videos are interesting, and some of them are even funny. So. so how has this redesign affected, in your view, student proficiency or their cultural competence or even their interest in the language and culture that you are teaching? Well, this is a really interesting question. Um, so we haven't explicitly tested these things. Uh, in comparison to previous years, we have anecdotal evidence. Um, but uh, we have received overwhelming positive feedback from students, either in course evaluations or simply verbally, they just come up and say, I really love the way you're teaching this. And um, especially from students who had taken classes before the redesign, I've had a couple students who had started the language a couple years ago uh, before we used it, when we used a different textbook and have come up since then, retaken a 101 class and said, wow, this is so much better. Um, and also from students who've taken classes at other at other places with a different approach or a different textbook have commented overwhelmingly positively. Um, a lot of them talk about the vocabulary being relevant and timely. Uh, the, a lot of the, both of the French and German textbooks use a lot of web-based activities for the students to explore websites. Um, one recently uh, for, for traveling asked the students to Google what kind of a, a, a Reisetuch, what kind of a travel person type am I, find a quiz, there's so many out there, find a quiz they like Goodness. and then to take it, um, you can get them on, in women's magazines, uh, travel magazines, whatever kinds of, and they take whichever quiz they want and then they come and they discuss what kind of a travel type they are. So the students really like that and uh, as Julie mentioned, there, there are a lot of videos for each chapter, both with native speakers, and there's also some with Americans, which I don't use as much, but, <laughs> but they're fun, and they're all in the target language, and the students really enjoy that, and it helps with their listening comprehension because there's a bunch of different uh, speakers in them. So the books are free, and they're online, mm -hmm. so anyone can access them? Yep. So if I'm a teacher listening, how would I find these French or mm -hmm. German books? Just Google them. So <laughs> if you search French University of Texas textbook, Okay. There you go. Or German, University of Texas textbook. There you go. So mine is called France Interactive, the French one. And the German one is? Deutsch im Blick, as in German insight. <laughs> so do you have any recommendations uh, for teachers who would either like to try using these or similar materials in their own classrooms? What has worked for you well using them? Or what pitfalls have you found that you would help people to avoid? Yeah, um, so the biggest piece of advice that Julia and I would suggest, and, and this is something that we do in our TA orientation in the beginning of the year when we have incoming instructors, is uh, something we borrowed from the TELL project uh, called the Backward Lesson to Plan Design Worksheet. Um, most people have had a pedagogy class, have had some experience with this. Uh, they're probably familiar with the technique. However, this worksheet specifically forces you to really think about your concrete goals for the day and how you're going to get the students there. So if you Google backwards design lesson plan, a bunch of models will pop up. Mm -hmm. um, the basic idea is you start with three to five can-do statements. They need to be concrete, like I can tell someone where I live. I can give someone directions to my house. Uh, not abstract, not something like, I know how to give directions. How do you really know when you know how to give directions, <laughs> right? So you have to have a task that you can also test so you know that somebody's accomplished it and you figure out from there 
what kind of knowledge students need in order to accomplish this task, and how do I get them there, what kind of activities can I use, plus a way to test that knowledge. So how do I test by the end of the, the hour, how do I test by the end of the class that they know how to do this, like if I'm doing directions to my house, I have to give someone directions to my house and they have to draw it on a map, pretty easy. So. Um, that's how we do it. And then the books actually that we use have a lot of very well scaffolded and pretty engaging and fun activities. So for most time, the most of the time the instructors just need to figure out what they want to do that day, which activities would help them. Do they need to add something or do they need to brainstorm some more vocabulary? Do they need to present some more vocabulary beforehand? And it flows pretty well, so um, we've been pretty happy with it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention about the one we use in French, and I, I, maybe the German one also has this, there's a great um, activity that they do for homework for vocabulary prep. Uh, so it's a, a worksheet that they fill out. Uh, it lets them make associations that help them the, remember those words, um, and it helps them personalize the vocabulary. Hmm. So they choose things that are interesting to them, that connect to things in their lives, and I have found a huge improvement in the vocabulary that they learn, uh, as opposed to when I taught last time you know, with, with a previous textbook. Uh, so for example, on a recent assignment that I graded last night, um, a student associated the adjective mignon, which means cute in French, with the movie Despicable Me, uh, because of the cute <laughs> characters awesome. called minions. Right, so they're not going to forget awesome. Mignon because they think of the little yellow guys. Um, and it has them do that for every word? Not for every word they choose. They choose. Yeah, they choose. I like that. They don't have to do it. Would, it would take, there, it's a huge amount of vocabulary per chapter, mm -hmm. so it would take a lot of time. We don't have that in the German one, but we do. Our, our instructors have been asking students to, their assignments is to develop their own vocabulary lists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they pick out which words right. per, you know, um, like some that. instructors do it you know, once, a, once a week, some do more. Um, per once per unit, but I like that association thing. I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna start that. It's out. nice, yeah. I yeah, it's fun. The, the sheet. Yeah, it's really useful. And then we also so I work with all of the TAs in French. We use Google Drive to share activities and things. I can give access. I would be willing to. I mean, I think that would be a useful idea if anybody is interested. Um, we also have a couple of WordPress websites. Um, that we use to share curriculum design resources. Uh, you can access those if you just Google my name, Julie Human, and UKY. It's on my UK faculty profile. The links are all there. Um, I also have one that I'm using this semester for my French 106 course, which is 101 and 102 in one semester. Um, I'll post a lot of things there. And it's really exciting to hear what you all are saying. First off, you're modeling best practices. It's, you know, to put it very plain and simple, and that's phenomenal. Secondly, a lot of schools are looking at virtual learning days. So when we have snow days, I, I'm immediately thinking, I am using this. If we have virtual learning days, thank you, UK, because <laughs> this would be the easiest thing. And I, I'm just really excited about this. So again, I just want to make sure it's free for any teachers. You do not mind if a high school teacher taps into this. No, we're thrilled. Yeah, and, and also that's something you, you just mentioned with the, the virtual or the snow days. And Julie and I and two of our colleagues, Khadir Zanun and Joanna Larco, presented at the last KWLA conference on specifically what to do for snow days. And so we've developed right. a lot of online um, activities uh, that you can use when, um, when you can't have class, but something more than just assigning homework. So something that's more in depth. And we've been working, we can send people whatever. We've been developing ours in Blackboard and Canvas. Um, so you would need to be able to uh, have that kind of a CMS so that you could 
import those kinds of okay. questions and stuff. But um, we'd also very, we can all, we can always be contacted. I think that's, that's kind of our, um, you can email either Julie or myself. And if we don't respond, it's probably it got buried somewhere. So please email us again. And right. um, we've, we really like to share materials. We share materials with each other. We always share ideas with each other. And um, we also have a, a Dropbox folder for all of my TAs. They have to upload their materials. So. And they come up with amazing things. Yeah. Right. That I would never think of. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we definitely have strength in numbers and, and we definitely like to share our materials. Not to put you both on the spot, but I'm going to, and Jean Marie pop in on this. Um, we do have our um, resource list on KWLA website, the Outreach Clearinghouse, and this might be something we put on there, either their names as contact Definitely. or... Julie's already on there, I think. Yeah, Julie's... After the KWLA. She's beat okay. me. No, yeah. no, I, I just basically, I don't... I'm kind of a control freak, and I don't want to upload things with typos, so I haven't... <laughs> I want to make sure that everything, um, because I don't teach any of the language classes myself, I want to make right. sure that I, I look through the But we'll make stuff. sure that eventually those resources are yes. on there for sure, and... Um, and your emails, just so that if All right, want to email emails, you know? emails. Um, Julie's email is Julie, J-U-L-I-E dot human, as in a human being, at UKY.edu, and mine is Brennabird, one word, B-R-E-N-N-A-B-Y-R-D, at UKY.edu, or you can Google us and you will find us on the MCL website. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Brenna and Julie, for sharing policy updates at the University of Kentucky and also wonderful instructional practices that you all are leading. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time for our polyglotting news. And we have Jean Marie with the University News. What do you have, Jean Marie? Murray State's Modern Language Department is celebrating two kinds of New Year this week. Mardi Gras Carnival, sponsored by the Alpha Mu Gamma Foreign Language Society on campus, and the Chinese Lunar New Year. For more information on all the cultural activities sponsored by the department, contact the Language Society Advisor, Therese St. Paul. T St. Paul, all one word, at murraystate.edu. The Amigos Unidos Spanish Club at Moorhead State has an entire slate of events lined up for the semester, including films, game night, and holiday celebrations. For more information on the schedule, email Jesse Eskridge, J-T-E-S-K-R-I-D-G-E, at moreheadstate.edu for more information. Moorhead State is also hosting a KIIS, K-I-I-S, program in the Yucatan next summer. For more information, you can check out their website, www.keys.org forward slash go forward slash Mexico dot PHP. Here at UK, applications for the Arabic summer study in Amman, Jordan are being accepted until March 1st. The program is open to everyone interested in learning Arabic, regardless of level, and courses include elementary Arabic through fourth year advanced. The Arabic and Islamic Studies program is also preparing for its second Middle East Culture Festival, scheduled to take place on April 27th. For more information on the Middle East Festival or on study abroad, contact Professor Ghadir Zanun at G-H-A-D-I-R dot Z-A-N-N-O-U-N at U-K-Y dot E-D-U. And don't forget, when you're thinking about authentic materials, WRFL 88.1 
has international radio programming throughout the week, like Russian radio every Monday from 2 to 4, as well as others. For more information on their programming and streaming that programming, check out WRFL.FM. That's exciting. I had no clue WRFL did that. So now we have an update from our KWA board. They say greetings, and they're very excited to continue working on preparations for the 2016 showcase and competition that will be held on April 23rd at Center College in Danville, Kentucky. Also, they're pleased to announce that the updated rubric is now available on the KWA website. Also, the PD committee continues to work hard on preparing our spring PD, which will focus on interculturality and global competency, what they are and how they connect. These PDs will be offered throughout March, throughout all the different regions. Information will be emailed out soon on that. Finally, we have um, the conference committee is diligently preparing information to be distributed regarding the call for proposals and registrations. I know it seems early, but we've got to start planning. And there are going to be a few board positions coming up for election this September, including secretary and president-elect. If you are interested in running for a position, please contact us at info at kwla.org. This wraps up our podcast on university policies and admissions. I wish to thank my co-host, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby, and also Laura McGee from Western Kentucky University, and Brenna Bird and Julie Human from the University of Kentucky. Also, as always, a huge thank you to the University of Kentucky for making this broadcast possible. This is Laura Roche-Youngworth for Language Talk KWA saying au revoir and happy teaching. <laughs>